the next uh, installment in Luke's description of the early church. Acts uh, chapter 7 describes the martyrdom of Stephen, and chapter 8, you begin at verse 1. And Saul approved of his, that is Stephen's, execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him, but Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. And when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone in whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. And when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before her shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his great generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, 
About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about somebody else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going down the road, there came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Amen. This is the Word of God. Many of us enjoyed uh, watching the Autumn Rugby Internationals. Some of us even got to see some of them live. And uh, a week past Saturday, and there was somebody here in the first service who saw this game live, a week past Saturday, the All Blacks took on the Welsh in the Millennium Stadium. For long periods of the game, the All Blacks were pressed back by wave after wave of Welsh attack. And the All Blacks' defense was tested to the limit. But they defended valiantly, held up under pressure, not just the pressure of the Welsh team, but the noise of the crowd with the roof shut in the Millennium Stadium. The commentator suggested it was worth a dozen points. For long periods, the All Blacks were pinned back. But then all of a sudden, with a flash of inspiration, the All Blacks' standoff, Bowden Barrett, broke through. And at that point, the game turned. And in the last quarter, the scoreboard began to tick over as the All Blacks forged ahead. Acts chapter 8 records the first significant geographical advance of the gospel the first significant expansion. As the gospel goes out from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, it is exactly what the Lord Jesus promised would happen. You remember in chapter 1 and verse 8, the Lord Jesus promised, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses first in the city of Jerusalem, and then you will take the gospel into Judea, and Samaria, and from there to the very ends of the earth. Chapter 8 and verse 1, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church, and many were scattered, where? Into Judea and Samaria. And verse 4, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And the promise of the Lord Jesus is fulfilled. Now, remember why I wrote Luke, his two-volume work, Luke and Acts, that they, the first readers, and we, reading it still today, might have certainty and confidence about the Lord Jesus' promises that pertain to the spread of the gospel. Jesus promised his promise is fulfilled. The living church will thrive. The gospel will thrive then and now. And that is a great confidence boost for Christians throughout history, for Christians in the world today, for Christians in this city, in this church, for you and I, certainty that the work of the gospel will advance. It is unstoppable because the Lord Jesus 
has said so. Now, in the middle of the chapter, verses 14 through 17, Luke describes how the apostles, on hearing what had happened in Samaria, came down from Jerusalem. Just look there, verse 14. When the apostles heard that Samaria had received the word, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. Now, in the normal course of events, normal Christian experience, people receive the Holy Spirit when they are converted, not later or not part of some subsequent event. But in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem, when the church began, and again here in Acts chapter 8, when the gospel takes its first big step geographically out into Judea and Samaria, the Holy Spirit is given in this special way. Why? Well, I think to mark the significance of the moment in the life of the church. That's what is happening here. Now, there is another instance of significant gospel expansion that Luke records, the conversion of this uh, Ethiopian in his uh, chariot. Um, this uh, passage has, has, has interesting characters in it, this Ethiopian, his chariot, and Simon the magician. But read with me from verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure. He came to Jerusalem to worship and was returning in his chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah, as you do. And uh, Luke goes on to describe his conversion. And this man, and this is Luke's point, comes from the very edge of the known world. You might remember uh, reading history and, and how when people went out to navigate the world, they, they thought they were going to sail off the end. Great discoveries like America, the new world. And this man in Acts at this point represents just about as far away as you can get from Jerusalem. And here he is, hearing the gospel, the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. He may well have some kind of Jewish interest. He may well be a Jew, but almost certainly he's of Gentile origin. The conversion of this man represents another remarkable step forward for the gospel. Significant expansion, significant geographical movements of the gospel. And we see it here, and we've seen it throughout history. For example, the Reformation in the 16th century, the expansion of the gospel from this country, Scotland, into South Korea, and then into China. London, at the start of the 21st century, multiple churches planted in the city of London in the last 10 years. New York City, significant expansion in the last 20 years of gospel churches. Or in Scotland, the work of 20 schemes, putting churches into the poorest parts of our country. Or the gospel partnership in the city here and in other parts of the country may well prove to be and I pray that they will, significant movements in the gospel in our time. 
or the citywide university mission that many of you will be engaged in at the end of January. I don't think there has ever been one of these in this city. Let's pray that that will be a significant movement for the gospel or in the life of Chalmers, this transitional phase of our life as a church as we seek a new building. Come on Tuesday and pray about that, the new building. And pray that it will herald, and this is right for us to pray, a significant advance of the gospel in this city. Now, how does a significant expansion, a significant movement of the gospel come about? Let me bring you right back down to earth. Three ways. One, through strong opposition. Second, through telling the gospel. And thirdly, through what I've called divine intersection. First, strong opposition. The gospel never advances with that opposition. And we have seen that again and again throughout the book of Acts. Indeed, opposition or strong opposition is so very often a catalyst for gospel expansion. Chapter 8 and verse 1, and Saul approved of Stephen's execution. There arose that great persecution in the church. Many were scattered. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word you see how the two run back to back, opposition and advance. The opposition is intense. It has never been more intense in the history of the early church than at this moment when Saul ravaged the church and this great persecution broke out in Jerusalem, men and women imprisoned. And yet there was the most significant advance. The expansion is striking as those who were scattered, those who fled, preached the gospel and the gospel spread. It is striking. Opposition and advance, like a horse and a carriage. Advance cannot happen without opposition. It is the dynamic of the gospel. It is because advance is opposed by the prince of this world, Satan himself, who will give all his energies to stop the spread of the gospel. And this is real. And it is as real today as it was then. Opposition and then advance. Pin back on your line, absorbing the pressure. All you can do is defend. Suddenly, there is a breakthrough and there is progress and advance and light. I think on a global scale, was the astonishing gospel expansion we have seen in China opposed? Of course it was, for decades, and still is. Should we expect opposition and friction and difficulties and pressures? Yes, will a city-wide mission be opposed in this city? Yes, that's why we need to pray. We had a gospel partnership lunch at the Hub this week, and uh, all sorts of ministers, church leaders, people working in churches were there, and... Uh, there was a lovely honesty in the room. We went round the room and we shared uh, different items to pray. Every single church leader spoke of significant opposition and significant advance. 
in this city. And I suspect history may well record the period of time we are living through in the early part of the 21st century in Scotland or in the UK, where there is significant opposition to the work of the gospel as the period that yielded significant advance. We don't know that, but we shouldn't be surprised if that happens. Here's the point. Do not be surprised by difficulties. Do not be alarmed. It is the very context, the very atmosphere in which and from which breakthrough will come. And when do you need to hear and remember the promise of the Lord Jesus? When did the apostles and those followers in the early church need to remember the promise, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the very ends of the earth? Did they need to hear these promises when they began to move into Judea and Samaria and see the rapid advance of the gospel? Yes. But did they not need them more when they were in Jerusalem and the heat was being turned on them? That's when you need to hear and believe the promises, when you're pinned back on the line. Now, opposition comes from outside the church, but also from within inside the Christian community. Remember Ananias and Sapphira back in chapter 5 who lied to the apostles and kept back money for themselves? And here we meet this fellow Simon, the magician or sorcerer. And whether his magic had some kind of religious flavor to it, who knows, but it seems he was converted along with many other Samaritans, verse 13. And we need, I think, to take that at face value. He was converted. But then observing the apostles, verse 13, 17, laying their hands on the believers, no doubt captivated by the miraculous, he saw an opportunity for himself. So verse 18, he said, give me this power and I'll give you money. And what he asks for is wrong in all sorts of counts. This particular ministry of the apostles, he wants it for his self-interest, self-advancement, And notice there is money involved. Ananias and Sapphira, Simon, keeping money for ourselves that is the Lord's or using money to buy influence. Dangerous ground. And Peter is very direct with him, verse 20. May your silver perish with you. It's a curse. But then he says, repent and believe. If possible, Peter says, may the intent of your heart be forgiven you. And let's pray and hope that he did. These examples of internal opposition cause us all to examine our hearts. When I was walking the dog up on the Pentlands yesterday, we were doing mudslides. It was great. I thoroughly recommend it. You know, you have to just join in with your two children and the dog. Mudslides. And uh, when I was walking up on the Pentlands, uh, I was thinking about the sermon, and the bit I thought about was this bit, this man here. And uh, I examined my own heart before the Lord. That little phrase, is my heart right before God? Is the intent of my heart right? Is there bitterness in my heart? 
such self-examination matters because we can, in all sorts of ways in a church, hinder the expansion of the gospel. Now, let's move on. Second, gospel expansion comes through telling the gospel. Let me go back to the illustration I used at the beginning, the All Blacks. Uh, if uh, you don't know anything about rugby, please forgive me, but uh, use your imagination. Uh, the All Blacks pressed back under pressure for long periods of the game. One of the greatest strengths of the All Blacks rugby team is uh, that they do the basics well. Simple rugby. Gospel expansion comes through simple church. And what does that mean? It means telling the gospel. Nothing fancy, just doing the basics really well. Now just notice with me the repeated emphasis on telling the gospel through this chapter. Let me just show you that in the the text. It's it's quite striking. So look at uh, verse 4. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. Verse 14, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Verse 25, when they, the apostles, had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they went back to Jerusalem, stopping in every village to tell the gospel. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and told the gospel. Verse 40, Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Simple church telling the gospel. That's the dominant note through this chapter at a time of significant expansion. And Luke uses uh, the phrase, the word, and what he means by that is, is the gospel. Now, notice who was telling the gospel. Who's responsibility is it? One, the apostles. Verse 25, they spoke the word of the Lord. To Philip, he pops up all over this chapter. Who is Philip? Well, he was uh, one of the seven set apart in chapter 6 to do the practical work of distributing money and food to people in need. And we also see here that he was an evangelist. Luke tells us later in Acts that Philip, verse 20, chapter 21, verse 8, Philip the evangelist. And there are people in the church today who are gifted evangelists. I wrote to Richard Cunningham this week thanking him for his time with us. And I apologize profusely for waiting for a month to write to him. One of the striking things many of you said to me when Richard was here was that you would have real confidence bringing people along to listen to him preaching the gospel. Why? Because he is a gifted evangelist. I just said that in the letter and said, will you come back? I don't want to embarrass him, but I want to encourage him. Andy Robertson, who works in the church here, is a gifted evangelist. We thank God for them. Who is telling the gospel? The apostles? The evangelist? And also everybody else, verse 4. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And from the context, chapter 8 and verse 1, the number would have been hundreds, probably more. Ordinary believers telling the gospel. Now we 
need to be careful. Uh, the phrase preaching the word, chapter 8, verse 4, does not just mean giving a sermon. It does mean that, but it also means telling the gospel in all sorts of contexts. One of the Bible commentators notes that there's an ordinariness, a normalness to the language here. They went about their business, and their business is telling the gospel. So the New Zealand rugby team, who was it that won the game in the Millennium Stadium? Was it the flash of brilliance from Bowden Barrett, that little chip kick, if you saw it, when he ran on, caught the ball, dived over the line, and suddenly the game changed and turned? Was it him who won the game, or was it numbers one, two, and three in the front row of the scrum that you never saw on the television? I suspect it was as much them as him. All 15 won the game. The apostles, the evangelists, and the punters like you and I, most of us, telling the gospel. How were they telling the gospel? Well, again, that is striking from the text, the different methods in evangelism. Sometimes Philip just explained the the logic of the gospel. He stood up and he said, This is humanity's greatest need. That need is met in Jesus Christ, who forgives your sins and gives you new life. Other times, we see Philip with the Word of God opened up with somebody else. There's a great encouragement for one-to-one evangelism. Chariots or coffee shops or wherever. What is Philip doing with the man in the chariot? He's reading Isaiah, and the man in the chariot says, what on earth is all this about? And Philip said, it's about Jesus. And he tells him the gospel. It's just evangelism. Who is telling the gospel? How were they telling the gospel? And where were they telling the gospel? Well, in a chariot. I don't know what the equivalents would be for us today. I suppose a car, a train, a plane. The great thing about being in a plane when there's turbulence is that the people beside you can't move. Or a train, or a car, or wherever. Striking when you get your Bible out in a train. I always go up and down to London. I go up and down regularly to London. I always go on a train. And uh, I get my Bible out and I work. And and more than 50% of the time, somebody has a conversation with me. Sometimes, if I'm really honest, I I kind of pray that nobody will so I can get on with my work. That's not good, is it? Almost 50% of the time, somebody will talk to me. Where else? Of course, they would not talk to us if we do our very best to say nothing about the fact that we're a Christian. It's a simple thing. And somebody put me onto this. Just get your Bible out. Just, just get it out. People maybe ask. Where else? Verse 25 in the villages. Where else? Verse 40 in the towns. Where else? Verse 4 everywhere. They just went about telling the gospel. In all these different contexts, people were telling the gospel. Gospel expansion comes about through opposition And secondly, through simple church, people telling the gospel. And third and finally, gospel expansion comes through divine 
intersection. And what I mean by that is that there is stuff that we do. We tell the gospel and there is stuff that God does to arrange circumstances. He does this and that to put the right people in the right place at the right time that only hindsight allows us to see. But God does it to move the gospel forward. And that is seen very powerfully in Acts 8 in this encounter between Philip and the Ethiopian. God brought this meeting about a divine intersection. Now, what is described here is unusual. The way God brought this about, how things happened, we've seen this again and again in Acts. It's not prescriptive. The dramatic supernatural nature of what happened is particular to this period of rapid advance in the early church. So verse 26, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he went. Verse 29, the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So he ran over. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip, finding himself at Azotus, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns. Now, they're not normal events in the sense of the way this happened. But the principle is timeless. God brings about these kind of divine intersections to advance the gospel. You may well feel, for example, prompted by the Holy Spirit to go somewhere or to someone to speak to them. And we need to respond if that happens and obey. We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit at work in this way. And if you sense the Holy Spirit encouraging you to go to speak to somebody or to put yourself into a position that you might be able to have a conversation with them, don't waggle on the tee and question it. Just do it. All that you will lose is you might have a little egg on your face when you have a gospel conversation with them. Take your Bible out in the train. All that you will lose is the person opposite you gets up and moves carriages. Just do it. Let me explain, though, this in the normal course of life. Of course, God is behind it all, but often it just appears ordinary to us. For example, you may find yourself sitting beside somebody at work who is not a Christian. You may have a casual work in term time. You may find yourself working with someone, inevitably you will, who is not a Christian. Does God know that? Has God brought them to you, you to them? Quite possibly. Be sensitive to the fact that he might have. Or a student one of you moving into a flat or a hall. Be sensitive to the fact that God has brought you together. Many of you in first year will move into flats after this year. Be aware that God may well have that all in his plan. It is striking how many people at university become Christians because they live with somebody who is a Christian or on a plane or a train or a chariot or wherever. Maybe a divine intersection. Get our Bibles out. 
And if conversation comes, trust that God is behind it, and he will enable us to explain the gospel. Many of you have family and close friends who are not Christians. But God has put you there to tell the gospel. Many of you will go home at Christmas time to family or friends who are not Christians. I and many others will pray for you that God will give you opportunities to share the gospel. God has put you there. God is at work all of the time to bring about divine intersections to advance the gospel. Trust him and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Let me close by pointing you to the two bookends of the chapter. Look with me at verse 1. And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. Hard times for the church. Verse 40. Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The all blacks always win in the end. And so does Jesus. So come on board his salvation plan and trust him. Trust him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this great, encouraging passage in Acts. We thank you that the gospel does at times take strides forward. And we pray that, Lord, for our city in all sorts of different contexts as we have thought. Help us, Lord, to be ready for strong opposition. Help us, Lord, to be steady when the opposition is there, standing our guard, trusting in your promises. Help us, Lord, to tell the gospel, yes, the gifted evangelists amongst us, but the ordinary punters, as most of us are, just being simple about church. And Lord, help us to remember that you are at work creating all sorts of divine intersections. And we pray that we would be sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to respond to these opportunities as you open them up before us. And above all, we pray that Acts would continue to encourage us, to give us confidence and assurance as a church. And we pray that all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.